We're on week six, I think, of our, our uh, series of King's Story, and we're talking about the life of David. And I like David because, you know, last week we talked about him being sloppy with things of God and, and how they kind of mishandled the ark and it got a guy killed and how important it, uh, it is for us to not, not be frivolous with the things of God, but, but to take it seriously. And so the, the wonderful thing about David's life, he gets it right sometimes and he gets it wrong sometimes. Amen. Can anybody relate to that? And so uh, last week, he was a little bit careless. This week, this week he's going to be spot on. And, um, and we're going to look into that and see how that applies to our lives in this circumstance. But I want you to know that, that God, did pick, um, God did pick David because of his heart, not because he was perfect. And that should encourage you. As long as your heart's in the right spot, he took care of your imperfections. Amen? He won the victory over all your sin, all that stuff, as long as your heart's in the right spot. So that's the important thing to remember today. David's getting it right, but the motivation about getting it right is because his heart's right. And when he gets it wrong, the motivation about getting it right is because his heart's right. Amen? So we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, I think. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Hey, can I just stop for a second before I, I do this? Um, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, which I wish there was a whatever you're doing appreciation month. Why don't we just do that? Um, but I would be remiss to say, look, I'm one person. And, and by the way, uh, I figured out, I think I've thought about it more this year than I ever have before. The first person, uh, and, I, and I'll probably talk about this next week as well, but um, I started thinking about it this year more than ever before. We've, we've been married 25 years, and we're actually going to celebrate our 20, we've been married 26 years, sorry. Um, last year was 25 years. We didn't get to celebrate that last year, so we're getting ready to go off. In a, in a week and celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary on our 26th year. That's cool. I think. Yeah. Thank you. It's been really easy for me. Honestly, it's been a nightmare for Beth. I just want to let you know that. Um, so I got to take her somewhere nice. <laughs> so here's what I realized. And I honestly been thinking about this this year more than ever in my life of what it men Listen to me. If you're not married yet, listen marry a really, really good woman and you get a head start. Oh, I was expecting that to go the exact opposite way. I was expecting all the women to go, amen. We're like 75% of this deal. But one for us, you guys will be eating off the floor. <clears throat> I, I want to say this to my wife, she's sitting right here, that there's no chance I could do this without her. No chance. And so, um, matter of fact, I couldn't even put the right clothes on in the morning. I got ready to walk out and she was like, change your shoes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's a true story. That happened this morning. Um, I'm colorblind. 
And so I've got a disadvantage. So I had to marry a woman who's not, which technically they're typically never colorblind, right? Um, but I just want to say, boy, this is a long ways around to give my wife a compliment. <laughs> that what you see up here is due to a large part of my wife being who she is. Because there's a whole ton of things I don't have to think about. Yeah. Come on. And I've been contemplating this year how easy I have it, how easy it is for me to do what I do and, um, and, and have her by my side telling me what to wear. I mean, just stupid stuff like that. <laughs> Marry a good woman. It takes the stress out of life. The Bible says if you marry a bad woman, it's like you'd rather move up on the rooftop and sleep. That's scripture, isn't it? Yeah, that's Proverbs. It's like a drip that never stops. Never mind. That's another sermon. Marry a good woman that loves God and your life will be easier. Second Samuel chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through 13. Please stand to your feet in honor of reading the word. You can see it on the screen or if you brought your Bible with you or maybe you have it in your phone. 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1, say amen if you're ready. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, his name was Ziba. And, and they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may, sh- may show him kindness the kindness of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to him, he is in the house of uh, Mashir, the son of Amel at Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mashir, the son of Amel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, say that, say that five times really fast. And you thought a boy named Sue was bad. I just figured out how old you are. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his feet and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore you to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have, may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands to his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us. Lord, we pray that we be able to give 
that same grace and mercy that you've so abundantly given us away. Lord, let us be really good at it to help other people, to minister to others the way you have to us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. A little recap, David's been extremely successful. We talked about last week how he had consolidated the kingdom. There was about a two-year war with Saul's, another one of Saul's sons. So I don't know if you remember, but there was a guy named Saul who was king of Israel, the first king of Israel, and he, um, he had disobeyed God a lot. God basically stripped it from him and said, I'm going to give it to somebody else better than you. It's not going to go down your lineage. And so David has this period of time where King Saul's chasing him and trying to kill him, and the whole nine yards is very jealous of David and the victories that he's had militarily. And, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago. So Saul and his son Jonathan. Jonathan is the guy that David had this very close, like, brother relationship, like super close together. And so both Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. David becomes king over Judah, and, and one of the military officials puts Saul's other son, Ishbosheth, in charge as king of Israel. And so now there's about a two-year war that takes place between David and Saul's son, Ishbosheth. And, and David keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger, the Bible says. And the house of Saul keeps getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And finally, one of, one of Ishbosheth's military guys who helps start him goes over to David's side. And that's, that's the, like the nail in the coffin. David has consolidated the kingdom. Now he's king over all Israel and Judah. And he goes, we read last week, he brings the Ark of the Covenant in and he... He mishandles that. He learns a a valuable lesson about the things of God. And he, chapter 8, is a military victory list that would make any general jealous. I mean, it's it's a great run. I mean, he's beaten everybody. All around Israel, he's defeating the enemy. Everywhere you look. He crushes the Philistines in chapter 5. Then he brings the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David. Then he defeats the Moabites and the Arameans. It says, after recording the defeat of Aram in the north, and the narrator of 2 Samuel includes a summary of David's conquest of neighboring nations in every direction. Edom, Moab, and Ammon. You go west to Philistia, he conquers that. Southwest to Amalek, he conquers that. So with all these victories, he's actually taken the the borders of Israel out to the promised region that God promised Abraham. You go all the way back to Genesis where God promised Abraham. Now, could you imagine being King David and going like, I rolled this back old school all the way back to where we used to, where God promised. Man, what would that feel like? What would it feel like? To be chased down, threatened, kill, tr- God trying to kill you, not appreciative, jealous of all you've accomplished for him. And then finally, remember, David wasn't even in the starting lineup to become king. God had stripped it from Saul and, and sent Samuel to anoint a king to, 
David's dad's house, David's dad's house, David's dad lines up all the appropriate sons. David's not even in the lineup. And God says, hey, I'm not looking at their outward appearance. I know those are handsome men, but I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at their heart. There's got to be somebody else around here. So Samuel asked Jesse, hey, you got any more kids? Well, I got the little scrawny one out working the sheep. We'll go get him. We won't sit down until he gets here. He brings David back, and God says, this is, the, this is the guy. So Samuel anoints him king, and then he goes through all this mess to get there. Anybody been through a mess to get where you are? Just a mess. You're like, boy, if we go out to lunch, I'd keep you through dinner. I'd tell you how much of a mess God brought me through to get here. Now, picture yourself in that spot. He's finally king. He's consolidated. And now he's going around victory after victory after victory. I mean, do you know that, what that would do to me? I, my closest friends now are already like, we would tell you that, but your head is already so big. <laughs> That's a lot of victory. But I love the way, the way 2 Samuel puts it in chapter 8. It actually reads like this, chapter 8, verse 14. And the Lord... Gave victory to David wherever he went. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. If, if, if that hadn't been in there, we might be talking about how good a strategist David was. We might have been talking about how good of a, just a warrior in and of himself. We might have been talking about all the things that David had accomplished. But because Second Samuel says, and the Lord gave him victory wherever he went, now we know the source of his victory. Now we know where it came from. Now we know how he got there. Now we know how he came from a shepherd boy that his dad forgot, that his dad didn't even put in the lineup, and that Saul got jealous of and tried to kill. Now we know how he got from there all the way to consolidating the kingdom and defeating all the enemies around him. Now we finally have the basis of the story, and now God gave him all the victories. Can I be transparent with you for a second? Sometimes I leave that verse out of my life. Anybody else? Sometimes, so I forget about all the bad stuff I did. I'm really good at that. Like, I haven't done anything bad in 15 minutes. That's how long it was in between services. Um, (laughs) It's a struggle. Um, So I can forget about the bad stuff. Anybody else good at forgetting bad stuff? Like, uh uh-uh, just forget it. Just put it out of my head. But then when it comes to the good stuff, I remember all the good stuff I've done. I remember like, hey, I I was good. I did that and I did that and I did that and I did that. And I'll leave that that little verse right there. I'll leave it out. Not necessarily intentionally, but, you know, just just pride comes in the circumstance. Like, look how hard I've worked. Look how, man, man. And at the end of the day, your life and my life has the same verse in it. And the Lord Gave you everything that you have. Now, you know how to test this. Let one of your kids mess up what you worked for. 
Let your neighbor mess up something you worked for. Let your, let your friends get in that car that you just bought and you just washed and you just waxed, you detailed. The t- you even put the shiny stuff on the tires. And let them get in with some money and you'll be like, I... We hardly ever say, well, the Lord gave it to me. We remember what we worked for. Amen? I put this roof over your house. (laughs) I remember. I remember growing up. I thought, my gosh. Like, I take out the trash. Can I get some credit? So I leave, there's times where I leave that verse out of my life. And the Lord gave him the victory. And the Lord gave him the victories. Because can we be transparent? It Doesn't it feel good to take credit every now and then? Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good to wake up in the morning and go, look what we did. Look what we put together. We made it. And we worked hard. The, um, the thing that I found out in my life is the harder I work for something, the less I'm often willing to share it because um, I got so much effort into it. You know what I mean? I got so much tied up in it that like the idea of somebody else breaking it might kind of drive me nuts. Like, like I made that happen. I don't want anybody else to mess it up. But the issue is here is that David was keenly aware that the Lord had given him all those victories. It was the Lord who gave him the victories. And I think if we apply that verse to our life, we can free ourselves up a little bit. Whatever we have, close your eyes right now, whatever you have, whatever success you have, think about that thing that you value the most. You just got it. You're like, oh man, I can't wait. I just got it. It's beautiful. Now superimpose over that, the Lord gave it to me. Forget about the overtime. Forget about all that stuff. The Lord gave it to me. That changes everything, doesn't it? That changes everything. So David, David is experiencing the Lord gave him victory. Now remember how we talked about David could kind of waffle between being sloppy, getting it right, being sloppy, getting it right, being sloppy, getting it right. He'll, he'll waffle back and forth in that in that through his whole life, the good thing is his heart is always in the right place to come. To come When he gets it wrong, come back to God. When he gets it right, God gets it. If you fast forward into David's life, he does get to a place later on in his life where he's like, no, nah, we're going to count his whole military and I'm going to see how bad we are. In Chronicles, First Chronicles, there's an account way later in David's life, after all these victories, after all this stuff, where, where it says... That Satan caused him to do it. Now, could you imagine? First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. They're going to take a census of how big the military was. So remember, he gets it right sometimes, and he doesn't get it right sometimes. So, so David, all the way back here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, is going, I understand, the Lord gave me all this. This is crazy. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm here and I've won all these victories. And, and could you imagine the first time he thinks about all the way back to Abraham? I just conquered all the land. This is unbelievable. But when we forget that, what happens is it leads to 1 Chronicles 
And all of a sudden, now we're starting to take credit. Look what, look what we did. Look what we did. Look what we did. Hey, why don't we, why don't we do this? Why don't we count everybody and see how strong we are? And you know what the crazy part is? When David's given God credit, it's cool. It's a man after his own heart. Then in Chronicles, it says Satan incited him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to ever have listed over my name, Satan incited him. That's probably not a good good thing. I mean, your spouse may be saying that about you today, but, um, but they're... But that's not, do you see how it goes? When we give God credit, our hearts are in the right space. When we start to take credit for it, we end up being incited by Satan to do something wrong. So it's always the heart check in these circumstances. And can I tell you something? What ends up happening is when the pain starts to ease, it's easy to pray when we're being attacked, isn't it? Come on. It's easy to pray when it's hard. It's easy to pray when there's no money. It's easy to pray when somebody's after you. It's easy to pray when your boss is attacking you. It's easy to pray and they're saying, Lord, you got to help. You got to help. It's easy to pray when we're sick. It's easy to pray when we're having trouble. It's easy to pray at those times. It's when we start being a little bit successful that the hat doesn't fit anymore. It's when we're a little bit successful that, look, count my blessings. That I made happen. Here's what this can lead to. Um, if, you, if you go backwards, I want to I dig into this point because what David does, does during his success is very important. And I, I need us to dig into this a little bit of, of why, why we need to look at it like this. If you go back to when the children of Israel left Egypt, Moses led them out and, and they tons of miracles happened. They got to this place called Jericho and they disobeyed God and and they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. You can go back and see that. Now Moses is dead after that and there's a guy named Joshua who came up under Moses. And now Joshua is to lead the children of Israel into the the land that God promised them. All the way back to Abraham. This land that he had promised them. Joshua is obeying God. They go into the first place, that same place, Jericho. They go into the first place and they destroy it. Anybody, anybody ever heard the story of Jericho where they march around the walls? They keep marching around the walls, marching around the walls, and then the walls collapse. Anybody remember that story? Yeah, I always was confused growing up in a church where they would march around the church. And I would think, well, this is, this is like self-defeating. We're supposed to march around the enemy. Why are we marching around the church walls? Nobody else got it. <laughs> let's, let's go march around the devil, not the church. Um, so this miraculous thing happens. They blow the trumpets. They march around. They blow the trumpets. The walls fall down. Thick, huge walls fall down. And they go into Jericho and they slaughter everything. That was God's directive to them. Except there was this guy named Achan who decided, I'm going to keep a little loot for myself. Nobody's looking. So he takes some of the sacred things that God told him not to take. And he hides it under his tent floor. Now listen, this would be a great movie. Because, because we would do a flashback and we would see Achan taking the things and then, you, and, then, and then it would flash forward to the next battle. And you know what's coming. You feel the tension in the theater rising. And you can tell, you know what's going like, oh, this ain't going to be good, this ain't going to be good, this ain't going to be good. But 
Israel became arrogant overnight. Israel became arrogant overnight. You know how quick this happens? You say, well, I haven't been that successful. It only takes one. Israel beat Jericho, and the next, the next town they're supposed to go in is a little place called Ai. And Joshua says, hey, send some spies in there. Check it out. You just destroyed Jericho. Send some spies in there. Check it out. They come back. They say, this is a breeze, man. Don't even send a lot of guys. Send two or 3,000. We got this. Everybody else to take a break, take a picnic. We got a union break coming. They send 3,000 guys in there and they get slaughtered. They chase them all the way out of the city. It's devastating. Then all of a sudden they go, what happened? What happened? And God says, you did something I told you not to and you didn't check. Listen, one of the dangers about being successful, I want you to be immensely successful, but I want you to skip the danger of being successful and always trace it back to, and the Lord gave him victory wherever he went. Because if you go back through all of Israel's history, through David's history, whenever that stopped, whenever that mentality stopped, whenever that heart, whenever that heart condition got sideways, then victory was short-lived. They got slaughtered in AI. You know what? If they hadn't have been puffed up, all they had to do was say, Lord, we want to make sure you're good with us before we go into this city. And he would have said, there's sin in your camp. Get it out. But instead of doing that, they were like, hey, we got it. Don't even send a bunch of people. They roll in there. They get defeated. Then they come back and they're like, God, what happened? Well, you didn't ask up front, so I had to wait to tell you until you asked. So many times in my life, some, something will happen and I'll be successful and then I'll turn around and I go, I got this, I don't need to pray about it. And then the next thing you know, it leads into something I'm like, ooh. Well, I'm just not going to talk about that. How'd that go? Ah, you know. Average. Success is a funny thing. Because we typically want to associate success with with having a relationship with God. But the problem is the more success we get, the more strained the relationship with God can be. Because then there becomes a battle about who's going to take credit for it. And the David was at his best when that was always the tagline of his life. At his best, it was because the Lord had given him victory wherever he went. Okay. All right, enough about that. We have to give credit to God for the victory. But when you are successful, there's a mindset about what we should do with that. So just to rehash a little bit, there's, there's Saul, the first king of Israel, and he, was, and he was not a man after God's own heart. Matter of fact, he just rejected the things of God, and God ended up rejecting him. So here comes David along. Saul had a son named Jonathan who David was best friends with and actually saved David's life. And there was a connection there that was, that was honorable and trustworthy. And it's kind of ironic that the son of the man trying to kill David is trying to save David's life. So now fast forward, David's victorious. Saul and Jonathan are dead. David really has no reason to do this. 
Matter of fact, it wouldn't have been out of the ordinary for David to say, if there's anyone left in Saul's house, make sure they don't breathe another day. Because I'm solidifying my rule over this place, and there ain't no chance anybody's going to come and take this away from me. Nobody would have blinked. But instead, this is what a man after God's own heart does. When he solidifies victory and reclaims all this land, he stops for a second and goes, Hey, is there anybody from Saul's house that I can bless? I can imagine his servants going, What? Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, King. Did you, did you, could you say that again? Who do you want to bless? Is there anybody from Saul's house that I could bless? I mean, we could check. I don't know if that's smart politically. I don't know if, I, what, like, what are you doing here? Is there anybody from Saul's house I could bless? So they check, and there's a servant of Saul named Ziba, and they, and they bring him in. They're like, hey, is there anybody in Saul's lineage still that we could bless? Yeah, there's a grandson named Mephibosheth. David said, what was, it? What was his name? call him M. Um, there's a guy named Mephibosheth and he's lame in both feet and he's living in a rat hole. David said, bring him to me. Now we know from Mephibosheth's response that when he gets to David, he is afraid because in the back of his mind, I just got summoned. He figured out who I am, and these broke up feet are not going to save me now. He's not going to have mercy. This is over. And he, they, the servant brings Mephibosheth to David's presence, and David says, hey, calm down. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I want to bless you because of your father. Now, the story about Mephibosheth was way back before this happened, when Saul was actually being defeated by the Philistines, this, he was a tiny little baby, and the servant of Jonathan, it was Jonathan's son, his servant was carrying Mephibosheth, and, and what happened is she was trying to flee, and she tripped and dropped the baby. Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't good. Dropped him, and he became crippled in both feet. Crippled in both feet. So now we're fast-forwarding. He's an adult. David's king. And David, on his own volition, says, is there someone out there, part of Saul's family, that I can bless? You know what I have to check myself sometimes? The more successful you become, the less you seek out to bless other people. I wonder if the church is looking for it. I wonder if the... I don't want to be a church that's just focused on our own little thing here. Like, oh, look at this and look at what we've done. Look at what we've done. No, but the, the way the world knows that we've been blessed is because we are seeking out more people to bless. That it's not just look at this, look at this. Come in on Sunday morning and look what we're doing. Come in, look at what we're doing. Oh, this is where you need. No, it's not that. The, the way they need, the way they know is because we went out and sought out to bless them. That's totally different. Showing up to be blessed looks like begging. David did not make a crippled man beg. Some of you say amen next week. That's fine. 
David didn't make a crippled man beg. He didn't make a man in a poor situation beg. He didn't make him come and ask. He went and looked for him. And so listen, church, when God blesses us, when God blesses us, the response to him blessing us is then us turning around because there's an assumption that the heart of the Father who is pouring out blessing on us would be transfused into our life and that same heart then would be seeking out somebody else to bless. Amen? He came to seek and save those that are lost. That's what Jesus did. He didn't say, he didn't say I'm going to sit over here as the successful king of all creation and whoever shows up, I'll bless them. No, he says, I didn't come to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So, so Jesus coming to earth was a seeking mission. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a whenever they find me, whenever they get their act together and start giving credit to No, he came after us while we were sinners. Amen? So we've received this unmerited grace, this unmerited favor, this, this thing that we couldn't work or get credit for. We've received all that. It sounds a lot like David, right? There's nothing he could take credit for because it said the Lord gave him victory in every, every circumstance he was in. You and I are in the same boat. If I got it, it's because God blessed me with it. No, no, no. Hold on a second. I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying, I'm not saying be lazy. I'm not saying any of that. Get up and honor God in all that you do. And when you do that, his unmerited favor rests on us. Amen? But it rests on us not so we could hoard it, but we could, so we could seek out those that are lost. It reminds me in, um, when Jesus told the disciples, don't, don't stay in Jerusalem and wait for the whole world to come to you. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I'll be with you always. He was sending people always. He's still sending the church. So when we experience God's blessing and success in our lives, the mandate then is to go seek out people who need the blessing of God in their lives. Well, this sounds like, this sounds pretty rational. How many of you like being fair? Raise your hand if you like being fair. Just come on. Oh, we got a lot of fair people in here. That's good. That's good. Like when you see some injustice, you're like, that ain't fair. That ain't fair. Um, just to let you know, when anybody says that to me, I go, hey, man, the world ain't fair. You better, get, you better pull your big boy pants up. You know what I'm saying? The world ain't fair around here. It is not fair. And you know what? God's not fair. Do you do realize there's no part about God that's fair? When we deserved punishment, Jesus took it on for us. That's unfair. The most unfair day in, modern, or in, in the world's history was the day Jesus was crucified. The most unfair day in human history was the day Jesus hung on the cross. Nothing about that was fair. It was even less fair than you showing up uh, to the DMV with the, with the wrong paperwork. It's, it's just not fair. So what happens when we become blessed, we all of a sudden start thinking about what's 
fair. Lord, you gave this to me. I worked hard for it, but you gave it to me. But I want to remind you, I worked hard for it. So I think it was more of a teamwork than just a blessing. I want to clarify that up front. And because I'm responsible with your blessing, I don't want to give it to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Did you ever think about that? Lord, there's part of this that you did. I'll give you credit. I'll give you credit. You made me really smart. That was a pretty good idea. You made me really smart, Lord. You blessed me really smart. And I want to manage that really well. And so I'm not going to give this blessing to anybody who doesn't deserve it. That wouldn't be fair. That would not be fair. I need to be a good steward of what you gave me, Lord. I just can't be passing this out to anybody. Look what they'll do with it. You know, this story would have been a lot easier to swallow if David had given it to a guy who was already a bit successful. Who was already, like, you know, had it together a little bit and, and was presentable and, and could manage his own life and do all those things. And, like, it would have looked like a good investment. Yeah. But instead, the story is written that he gave it to a crippled man who couldn't take care of himself. That doesn't seem fair. And by the way, by the way, watch this. Watch the reason that David does it. Because this is extremely important. Because if the lineage had have worked out the way, the way it typically would have worked out, there would have been Saul as king, then his son Jonathan would have become king, and then possibly Jonathan's son Mephibosheth would have become king. Does this make sense? We just pass it down. I mean, the queen just died. We're watching this whole thing happen play out right in front of us. It's going to just go down the line, right? Except Mephibosheth was dropped when he was a baby, and both of his, both of his feet are busted up. He's crippled in both feet. So now he would have been excluded from becoming king. Oh, so this guy's had it hard from the beginning of his life. You think he's got nothing in common with David. I mean, this is a defeated king's grandson. He's crippled. He's living in a place. He's living in an awful place. Like he's got nothing going for him. I think when David found out he was crippled, he went. I'm going to double down on it now. The problem is most of us don't remember where we came from. (laughs) Because you get to a certain place where you can afford cable. We're chuckling, but how many of you remember not being able to afford cable? Hey, you drill a hole through the apartment and you get your navel splitter and you run it. got 47 people on one cable bill and you got all the movie channels. You know what I'm saying? Hey, how much is your cable bill? It's $1.50. Less than your coffee. We forget because we become used to the blessing of God. We forget what it's like. We forget. We just become used to it. It's standard living now. Standard living now. I remember standing at the TV and my dad would say, we live in a single wide trailer. You prop the front door open as the antenna. And my dad would say, nope, nope, nope. I'd have to dial the TV station in. You forget. Because now the blessing of God, now what you have now is the standard, right? 
I mean, we can't go below now. It's up from here. So I think, I think there's a part in David's mind where he went, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to live in an awful environment. I know what it's like not to be remembered. I know what it's like, all these things. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be sick and God, God heal me when I couldn't do anything for myself. Matter of fact, he, he writes Psalm 30. Listen to this. And I know if you're, if you know anything about the Bible, you're going to say Psalm 30 has nothing to do with Second Samuel chapter 9. And you'd be 100% correct. It has nothing to do with it. This is a psalm about David being sick and God healing him. But I want to show you the mentality in David's heart. Psalm 30 chapter 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Did you hear that? You healed me, Lord. Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord. O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. I love this right here. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Come on, how many of you have prayed that? As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved by the... By your favor, O Lord, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to you, Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faith? He's saying, Lord, what's it going to... It's not going to do any good to kill me right now. He said, you've turned me. Verse 11, you have turned me for me, my mourning, into dancing. I'm going to stop there. I think David had experienced that so many times in his life that in his success, he went, I need to turn somebody else's mourning. Who else can I bless? Who else can I bless? The band's going to come up. I want to leave you with this. You ever bumped into somebody during the day and they told you what was going on in their life and you said, man, I'll pray for you. And then you saw him two weeks later. And you went, how'd that work out? Well, and you went, I was going to pray for you, but you know, man, I'm busy. Um, I, think, I think we need to have a different mindset about that. I'm not saying don't pray, pray. As a matter of fact, when you, when you see somebody that needs prayer, Maybe if it's appropriate, pray for him right there. Or when you get back to your car, pray for him in your car. Do, do what you say you're going to do. That's all. But I think we should add something to that. Because sometimes it's easy for me to just say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, pray for you, then let it go. I've done my duty, right? I've, I've, done the, I've, I've met all the requirements. I said I was going to pray, and I prayed, and I did it. It's good. David had experienced God turning his... Tears may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. I may mourn, but there's going to be dancing that's coming. David said, I've experienced that in you. Think about this. David takes a crippled man in obscurity and takes him from mourning. His grandfather and father had 
were killed in battle. He's got no lineage. He's got nothing. Nobody wants to talk to the guy who's related to the defeated king. Nobody, nobody's pulling him up. Nobody's inviting him to the fundraiser and say, Mephibosheth, why don't you be the speaker? He can't even stand up. David takes a man who is doomed to live a life of mourning and weeping and says, hey man, you know what? God's given me enough grace. I could pray for you. But the other thing I could do is because of the success that God gave me, I could reach down to where you are and pull you up. I could actually do something that would change your life. And so with David, where he had no obligation to, he said, God's been so good to me. God, everywhere I've went, God has given me the victory. Everything that I've touched, he's blessed. And so in that blessing, I know what it's like to go from mourning to dancing. I know what it's like to go from tears to joy. And so here's what I can do for you. I, I, because of what God put in me, now I have the capacity to pull you up. And so he takes a guy who can't do anything for himself And matter of fact, gives him servants that weren't even his. I think the church can do that every day of our lives. Where I don't, I I still think we should say we're praying for people. But in that moment, thank God, have you given me enough grace to make something happen in their lives? Have you given me enough grace to actually reach down where they are and turn their morning and today if you you've given it to me i've experienced it lord and so don't let me just hold on to that let me walk into people's lives and say hey listen god has blessed me beyond what i could ever imagine now i'm going to reach down in his grace and mercy which he so freely gave me and i'm going to pour it into your life and pull you up to where to where i am that's the message of the church we gotta stop walking by people going hey i'm praying for you praying for you praying for you david didn't say hi Send him a letter and let him know I'm thinking about him. No, he said, let's pull him up. He's eating with me forever. He's eating with me for the rest of the time. He's eating at the king's table. Whatever we fix, fix him. Stand to your feet. I'm going to give you this last, 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 last thing. David said, because of your father, Jonathan, I'm going to bless you. church, we have a great reason to just bless people we come in contact with because of our Father. Because Jesus paid the price for them just as much as he paid the price for us. So we could look at them and say, because of what Jesus did for you, I'll bless you. It ain't going to be fair. It ain't going to look right. It might look like a waste of money, a waste of time. But because of what Jesus did for you and me, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. I won't even think about being fair. I'll bless you. If you can't do anything for me, I'll bless you. And when the church walks out of these doors on Sunday morning and we start seeking out people to bless, seeking out people to pull up, the whole game changes. The whole thing looks different. The church stops asking people for things and then we start going, hey, listen, we've been blessed. And so now our community is going to look at us like, like, whoa, where did that come from? We just start pouring it out on people and pouring it out on people and pouring it. Hey, we got it everywhere we went. God made it successful. So the results of that is that you're going to be blessed and we're going to pull you up. You may have been crying. You may have been mourning, but no more. Come on. You got a family now. You got a family now who can take care of you. Amen. So let's pray that way. You may have somebody in mind already. You may be sitting here going, man, you know what? There's a person at work. There's a person in my family. There's a person I saw last week that I could bless. And the only reason I'm doing it is not because they deserve it. It's because he blessed me. So, Father, we ask you 
Give us faith to put action on those things. Give us faith to put action on those thoughts, Lord, that what you so richly blessed us with, Lord, that we wouldn't hold tight to it, but we'd seek out people to pour it out on. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be you on the earth. You didn't wait around for people to come to you. You went and sought them out. So, Lord, let us do that this week. Strengthen us. Give us power to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church. Could you give a praise and honor this morning? He's good. Come on, let's do that this week. Let's walk out of this building intent on seeking out those we can bless. Amen. I bless you in Jesus' name. Now take that out and do the same thing to the people around you.